This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites and I've got a new one for you. (laughs) Artspoken.co.uk Art Spoken. Love it. Thank you. That's Thank amazing. You. Congratulations. Yes, babes. You know, it's been a few weeks now. <laughs> and what what can we find on Art Spoken? So it's basically where I'm going to be having my commissions and available prints that you can purchase. I'm also going to be um, kind of selling my tours, which are all related to art and also a new journal. So I'm going to be kind of finding art to talk about and yeah just see listeners no time for the podcast but plenty of time for tarting about with art (laughs) well i'm trying to get this all sorted before april before the newborn comes um just to give me a little bit of a little bit of a project you know you know i i love art so much and to be able to have one place that i can put everything has been something that i've wanted to do for such a long time so yeah, still got a exciting. few things to do on the website. But... <laughs> oh, yeah, well done. Congratulations. Thanks. How exciting. How are you other than that then? Your last proper week on the pod. My last proper week on the pod. Um, and I've had quite a few people, especially guides as well, saying, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're ending it. You've done <laughs> so well, <laughs> you know, in terms of like how good the pod has been. Um and I've gone, oh, God, don't tell me that. I've made the wrong decision. But it's the only decision that I can make because I know that with, you know, the firstborn, I, my time was so limited and I don't want to let you down suddenly. I don't want to let the listeners down. So it just gives you time, you know. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Okay, good. As long as you feel like you're doing the right thing, even if we don't believe that she is. <laughs> <laughs> oh but how um, are you we do we support you on that we we oh, really do you. you're, you're going to be missed um you. but you know but we still got next week next week is going to be our uh our last one together um yes. and i am yep putting things in place for after you've gone um yes. well i say that i haven't really but I, i'm i'm pretending like i am <laughs> 
no it was so many messages um you know talking about how they're of course going to stay with the pod because i know you've put it out there going please stay with me but so many people like so loyal to you that have been with you since global tea break and all the new listeners as well that you know you're continue to make it such a good success well i hope so i mean you know you're a big draw so it might not be the same well it definitely won't be the same but you know we'll see we'll see we're definitely going to carry on and see uh uh, see how it goes and actually we should uh, I should want to give a little shout out at this point to um our mutual friend Gio who who messaged and went oh it's a real shame Emily's leaving um and I think he, he probably isn't going to listen after you leave to be honest I'm doubtful oh I do love Gio though he's <laughs> living in Dubai the lucky so and so I know I know so yeah um we will see we will see I mean I haven't haven't made any decisions yet about whether I rebrand or, and there's been lots of people saying, get someone in, don't get someone in, get guests in, don't get guests in. So I am, I'm all, I'm all discombobulated about where it's going to go. But I have, I have a few plans um, afoot. Do your irons in the fire. Um, so watch this space. I think is the uh, is the outcome of all of that expression. Yes, yes, and we will, we will, my dear. I'll certainly be coming along on the journey with you, <laughs> listening behind the scenes. Rubbish. You won't have time for that. No, <laughs> I really won't realize. I know you keep reminding me, Alex. You keep reminding me. Your time is going to be minimized. Yeah. Um, but yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's crack on with this week then. Um, it's your last go at presenting. Yes. So, uh, what are we chatting about? So, we I can't remember if we landed in the Thames or oh no, it was Bankside. Oh no, we didn't, it didn't land anywhere, did it? It you, you gave <laughs> you just me picked. a pattern of uh, <laughs> also, actually, I've had a few people ask, picked. What are we going to do with the wheel? Um, so I am going to turn it into, and to be honest, I did so at Christmas actually, I turned it into kind of like a games wheel, a wheel of fortune thing. So, uh, I mean, I haven't spoken to you about this, but I presume I'm going to keep it. Yeah, listeners, I just want to put this out. She has not even offered me the wheel. She has not even put it out there that I might want to take the wheel on and continue with the wheel. It's got all my finger marks on it. (laughs) So I guess we're not getting that. Well, actually, no, that's true. We haven't spoke about it. Is this Ladies Who London Property? I guess it is really, isn't it? Can I give you half the wheel? Do you like half half the wheel? wheel? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Imagine if I actually send you half the wheel. On the this, is, this is where Emily and I are going to fall out, is over custody of the wheel. The custody of the wheel, gosh. And we didn't like uh, assign a godmother or anything. Um, no. Oh, you want it? No. I have got okay, space for it. For you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm looking at it now, actually. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> no, you can keep that. We will uh, come up with something even better. We'll have the, I don't know, the helicopter of destiny or something equally oh amazing. Oh, my God. Bloody hell. <laughs> wow, it makes my wheel look Budget. a bit... The budget's going up, babe. Budget's going up. The budget's going up. Yeah, clearly. Gosh. Well, so anyway, now that you half the advertisement. Now that you didn't spin the wheel, um, where where are we going? So I wanted to talk about the gallery. I wanted to talk about, am I going to say it? Yeah, I'm going to say it. It is my favourite gallery. In I London, in ever, in the world? I think in the world. I Ooh. love the modern gallery for so many different reasons. I'm a massive modern art fan anyway, and I love looking at art that doesn't really give you too much of a synopsis and it's up to you to kind of work out what you feel about it and I think when it comes to art it should 
the root of it is how it makes the person that's looking at it feel so i love modern art but i also just love the building i think um in terms of its architecture and its feeling and knowing that there was a, a life before the art entered the space there just really excites me and i love seeing people's expression when you take them there or you're there and you're around other visitors um so yes yeah, so i wanted to talk about the tape modern um and in particular some of the works of art not all because it's a gallery that's been there since the year 2000 and every year an artist has been asked to create something to uh, stop people in their tracks when they first enter the turbine hall which is the first kind of a foyer if you like of the gallery which is massive um, and there's been one every year since it opened so I'm not going to talk about all of them because we'll be here well, for quite a while. <laughs> so We'd get to I keep our to... listeners. That's what would happen. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, two months later, I said I was going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only on 2009. Um, and I can't remember how many we did for the plinth. Did we do all of them for the fourth plinth? We did, definitely didn't get... Well, no, did we? We got through a, a good many. We did, actually, didn't we? I think yeah, we might have we done. We definitely, we definitely cracked through the, the large majority. Hmm. Okay, so I've picked some that I, you know, really kind of wowed me. Um, but of course, the ones that I haven't picked that perhaps have wowed you, then you can kind of, you know, let us know. Um, so in terms of the history of the Tate Modern, I mean, I, you know, is this is this a gallery that you favour in London? Um, I do. I really enjoy it. Um, I think I enjoy going to it more than I enjoy guiding it, partly because <laughs> it changes all the flipping time and I find it very hard to keep up with what's going on in there. But I love visiting it. And I think one of the things I love about it is the space, just not just the art, which is amazing, but I love the space there. It's it's amazing. It's 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 so like that turbine hall, turbine, turbine hall, the turbine, the turbine hall when you go in. Um, it's so, uh, it's, it's a really impressive space and you get a real sense of the scale of the building, um, because it is completely, well, I say completely empty in terms of it's, it's, it's like a negative space almost at the as the gallery. They haven't put anything major in it. There's, you know, um, a walkway and they, this is where they put their, their works of art, but as the actual shell of the building, they haven't constructed other floors and whatever you can see the ceiling when you go in it's it's enormous and i really like that um so yeah it is it is a, a great museum i do love it yeah absolutely um and the kind of the skeleton of the building is as you say it's it's still the same you know it used to be a power station not the first power station that was along bankside because the first one that was there before what we now call the Tate Modern, was um, an electric light uh, works and also gas works. And it was part of a huge kind of um, power station that was built in 1891. So if you were back in the 1890s walking along the bank side, well, I say that you probably wouldn't have walked along the bank side mm -hmm. unless you worked there. It was a place where there were many, many chimney pots and the previous 
Bankside Power Station, there are these incredible black and white photos. And it's not as high as the, the current Tate Modern building because, you know, the, the, the single chimney pot that comes right out the middle of the Tate Modern is huge. I think it's like, is it 90 feet or something? It's oh, I don't know. I never know the height of things. <laughs> I'm so terrible when it comes to like feet and weight. And People say, God, all how that. tall is it? And I just sort of poised it and go, it's about that tall, really. <laughs> it's no about clue. that tall. I mean, you know, how does your neck feel? Is that tall? Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, there's pictures of showing what it used to be. And all of these chimneys with all of this smoke that's kind of bellowing from them, ash and grit. It was highly, um, you know, toxic. It was polluting the area and a lot of people complained about it. And in World War Two or after World War Two, they had planned to remove the power station, get rid of the gas works. Um, and you would have seen gas works going all the way down to Rotherhive, even as far as kind of Greenwich. And if you go to Rotherhive today, you can see some of the empty shells of the, the gas holders. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they decided to, sorry, were you gonna say something? No, no, I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> oh. um, so they were gonna take it all away and create this kind of atmosphere that you probably have more today, a place that's a bit more peaceful, a place where people could sit and enjoy the Thames um but that that all changed they decided not to go for that plan they decided to build another power station um so in 1947 they put out this kind of uh, plea to artists and designers and architects to create something new a new power station in bankside and the man that won the job is uh, a man of course that we have spoke about quite a few times i'm sure sir giles gilbert scott ah yes yes ggs um, ggs um and he, he's not known to his family and friends i can't even say that today ggs um there was originally going to be two chimney pots and a lot of people complained about it uh, in particular because they were worried that it was going to um, take away the view to the other side of the river of St Paul's Cathedral. Ah, um, so topic, in the end, uh. yeah. So in the end, he decided to to change it, change the design, and just have one single central chimney right in the middle. Um, but it was built in two phases, which was quite like. Do you remember we were talking about the power station mm. at Battersea? Yeah. So you had two phases and here at the Tate Modern or Bankside Power Station as it was known um, there was quite a long space in between so 1947 they built half of it and then the second phase wasn't done until about 1963 and when the first phase was still there when the first phase had gone up in 1947 you still had the old um, the old station with all of the chimney pots so you know, it really wasn't a place that you wanted to roam at all. And as you've mentioned, the turbine hall is this open space, this this huge room that holds such a presence, even when there's nothing in there. 
Um, it's where you had all the cogs, all the turbines, the noise in there would have been absolutely extreme. You had uh, a boiler house and you can go into some of the, the boiler rooms and the tanks and still smell the oil mm -hmm. and the shape of the building and the concrete of the building and numbers that have been written upon the wall in certain places are there from when it was a working power station which is is what's so wonderful about it when you go in today because it's it's a work of art in itself really yeah um now it did become redundant when we reach about the 1980s and uh, again like the first one a lot of people were kind of worried about um polluting of the area polluting of the river and then this idea came back i guess that they had after world war ii that actually this place should be an area for people to enjoy you've got and actually just before we go much further um my friend katie who also listens to the podcast uh, messaged me last week and went my dad used to work in the bankside power station um we really? were trying to see if he might be up for coming and chatting but um he's not particularly well at the minute so we, we've oh, let him off we've let him off but um yeah so i just wanted to kind of uh just say hi to katie and her dad and thanks for letting us know that because i love these these things because for you and me we've only known it as a take modern really i mean you maybe knew it a bit before but or as a sort of a derelict um shell and I, I always find it amazing that it was a an oil burning power station in the center of London up until the late 1900s. And you kind of think that's quite mad. So it's lovely when people go, Oh yeah. So someone I knew worked there or whatever. I think it's great. It really is. And I think we had that with the biscuit factory as well. We did. We did. In saying that, you know, I uh, had a family member that had worked there. Well, thank you for letting us know, Kate. And I uh, really hope that your dad recovers quickly. Um, but gosh, yeah, to kind of, um, it would be wonderful if we could get some, details on it because i've only you know got what what i found written here and there kind of talking about the soundscape and how many people would work there and it was a very very busy environment but to be able to get someone's uh, personal you know inside knowledge would be fantastic so uh kate maybe when you're your dad's feeling up to it so let us know let us know his thoughts on it yeah i mean i say this obviously going next <laughs> week well, i'm sure alex will <laughs> i mean i'll hear it on the pod anyway when you announce it um so anyway they decided that one thing that they could do was to open a modern gallery and this had always been something kind of that they had spoke about the Tate Britain had been going for uh, quite a few years before the year 2000 which is when the Tate Modern opened um and it, I mean what a fantastic space there was a lot to do obviously they had to kind of get rid of so much and I'd be interested to know where all of the kind of the nuts and bolts and machinery actually ended mm. ended up and I tried to research it and find out but I couldn't couldn't really get anywhere with it um but it's such a huge building and the turbine hall is the focus really of this pod because as i say i'm going to be talking about some of the exhibitions that have taken over this space and i did say it was a foyer and it it's 
so different to any other gallery that you go into because you usually go into a gallery and there's this little kind of space that you just very gently get introduced to a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and you go into this labyrinth of rooms and you see a little bit more and a little bit more and it uncovers kind of quite gently whereas the Tate Modern is in your face immediately you can't (laughs) help but be kind of smacked by this sense of boldness and I guess you know when it comes to modern art and the the works of art that you've got in there by the likes of Warhol, uh, Lichtenstein, Picasso when he you know wants to turn up (laughs) Uh, (laughs) is very much hey you can't ignore this bang you know Um, and even though you do have this empty space the people that have been given the artists that have been given um such a privilege to create something in there is so precious because you have to create something that makes people want to stop and be in this large empty void and this avoids them from going into the other areas of the gallery which aren't huge you know if you took away the Mm. turbine hall it would actually be quite a small gallery floor two and floor four they're the only floors where you actually have, um, you know, the galleries, the proper yeah. pieces of art that you kind of can go around. The other floors are dedicated to private exhibitions that you would pay for. Um, so you have to create something that is going to make people stop. And there has been so much of that. Um, and I have to say, I've picked some of my favourites. I, I haven't picked all of them because of the the time of the pod. Now, quick, quick question. Mm. Um, are there ever exhibitions in there from artists who are no longer living or is it only ever living artists who create something for the Turbine Hall? Um, from what I've looked at, I mean, all of the ones that have created artwork there has been by uh actually i don't know because louise bourgeois she died in 2010 was it 2010 i think it's 2010 she's a french american artist she was the first she's not somebody that i was actually going to focus on today but so she died in 2010 oh her work went in before that so i think yeah is it always created for the space created for the space not necessarily Um, Because Louise Bourgeois, she actually has been obsessed or was obsessed with creating gigantic spiders. And one of her spiders moved into the Tate Modern. And the work that is in the Tate Modern now, I believe, has been elsewhere. Right. But the majority, I would say, has been created specifically for the space. Okay. So the first one that I want to focus on 2003 I'd not long been in London myself and I walked in and I was just absolutely hit by this amount of heat and it was a wintry day so outside it was really grey and it was really miserable and there was this incredible orange glow right at the back of the turbine hall and there was all of this mist that was within the room and I could see so many people and they were laying down. So instantly 
there was this feeling of kind of relaxation and this feeling of just walking into a place where you felt really welcomed, welcomed enough to sit down if you wanted to, lay down if you wanted to. And then I noticed that all the people that were down on the floor, I could see them above me as well because there was a huge mirror. Oh. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, so I never saw this exhibition, but this is, is it Luke, was it Luke Jerram? This is Oliver Ellison. Oh, then no. Okay. So this is called The Weather Project, 2003. And this man, I mean, he, he's, I think he's obsessed with the weather. He's Icelandic. So I don't know if, you know, growing up in that part of the world where ice and the weather and the fact that, you know, certain days or certain times of the year <laughs> the sun never sets has obviously kind of like switched something in him um to produce lots of things which are to do with icebergs he actually did a, a big exhibition outside the Tate margin a couple of years ago not in the turbine hall it was when you walked up mm -hmm. and there were these massive icebergs essentially and you walked past every day if you went in that direction to work and you would see these massive icebergs get smaller and smaller. And it was all to do with the melting of the ice caps. Mm. Um, so he was asked to create something and he knew that he wanted to do something that was to do with the weather, mainly because what is the first thing that a British person <laughs> talk about? <laughs> it's the weather. The weather. It's the weather. We always want to talk about the weather. Um, I'm pretty sure we've started a lot of our pods by the way. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and so he was kind of thinking maybe I should do, you know, all weather. And you go into certain rooms and you kind of, you feel cold because of particular lighting or particular materials have been used here. But he kept on coming back to this big ray, this huge sun. So he went with that and you walked into the space and there was this semicircle that he created right on the back wall, this huge orange semicircle. And then above the whole turbine hall, you had this mirror. Um, and they, they asked so many different companies if they could help install it. And so many that, you know, have been working with mirrors and installation throughout their whole entire existence said no it's it's too risky it's an area that we just don't want to touch so Oliver Ellison and his team and the team at the Tate Modern they actually installed it themselves um oh, wow. and they yeah they put kind of these huge rectangles if you like um uh, you know this kind of mirror rectangle upon a board and then hoisted it up and they did that kind of one by one and he was completely taken back by people's reaction in terms of them laying down straight away and he just loved that people just wanted to be in the space and it was the first time i mean obviously it only been open for three years but the first time that people had did that in the Tate modern and you know really be at one with the gallery and mm. you know act like they're at home essentially so comfortable um and people were just coming in on their breaks from work and wanting to be in a place that wasn't giving off any particular heat. 
but when you see certain colors and when you see certain pictures you know if you see a picture of the sun it actually does something to you it does something to your brain to your body as opposed to if you saw kind of a cube of ice you don't have to necessarily feel it or kind of like get to know that temperature to actually right. have an effect on your body mm. so yeah yeah so the mirrors were 25 meters in the air so you think oh about wow this. okay so yeah, how yeah. how high is that from from the top then from the ceiling so um it's not right at the top and if you've ever been in the Tate Modern when you're walking into the turbine hall there is this kind of um how can I say it would have been like the control room and it sticks out to the left and it's got kind of like a, yeah. a pastel blue color you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I know so what you mean. just above that so if you were on that floor and you were looking out of that window uh, just above you was the the mirror yeah yeah um and he had to take away everything that was in the view because he wanted people to look up at the mirror and just be able to see themselves bathing in the heat so he had to take away rubbish bins he took away signs he even convinced the Tate Modern to take away the donation boxes oh my goodness <laughs> so that it was it was just as if you were just floating within this warm mist and you wow. couldn't help but but to feel relaxed sounds amazing yeah I'm sad I never saw it oh it's fabulous and there was somebody that brought a canoe and um, they brought a canoe in there was somebody oh that's it uh george bush um george bush brought a canoe? <laughs> no he didn't bring a canoe but he came to london and um a, a group of people went into the tate modern and they spelled out with their bodies bush go home and it was quite intelligently done because they had to think about how they were going to do it in reverse because they took the photo in the mirror oh and of course when they were laying down it, it would have been in reverse if they weren't so um and that that made the papers and every day for a week um the bbc weatherman uh, gave the weather report from the turbine hall and really? ended, yeah and ended by saying well it's still shining here at the modern that's amazing <laughs> isn't that fabulous <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. So that was 2003. So that was called The Weather Project. So that was one that I wanted to talk about. Brilliant. Um, two years later, the Turbine Hall sees a Turner Prize winner. And this is uh, a lady, Rachel Whiteread. Ah. Are you familiar? Yes, I am familiar. And I think... We've talked about her before, haven't we? We because, have. I can't remember. Uh, I'm trying to think why now. Uh, because I always find it hard to say her name and I always say Rachel Whiteweed. Um, Whiteweed. Oh, I know why. It's because she she created something for the fourth plinth. That was it. Rachel Whiteweed. Yeah. <laughs> Whiteweed. Whiteweed. <laughs> so she created something called The Embankment. And this was in 2005. And if um, if you didn't know too much about it, you might well have looked and seen this kind of city, or at least it looked like the kind of the the outline of a city, which was made out of 
cubes, white cubes, 14,000 white cubes of varying size. Um, but it looked like kind of a sugar lump village. It looked like um, Arctic icebergs. It looked like a, a city and you could weave yourself through it. And when you were looking down into the turbine hall, you couldn't see anybody because everybody was behind certain sections. So you kind of went in and you got lost through these different pathways. And this was something that was inspired or she was inspired when her mother died. There was a particular box that her mother owned and Rachel kept hold of it for so many years and it was already a box that was kind of starting to deteriorate and there was a bit of sellotape kind of holding up one side and she was just obsessed with trying to keep this box together and then with that she got an obsession with boxes and containers and spoke about how people's possessions being in particular boxes mean so much to people so uh, i guess you've got this kind of this this big hoarder in the turbine hall who has got all of these different boxes and although they're empty and white she kind of wanted you to think about what could potentially be in them and mm. what you might hold in them and perhaps if you were just given one box what precious thing would you personally keep in there i like that as an idea though yeah it's quite a nice thing to think about it is yeah and she is someone that is she does kind of a lot of inside out things i think we spoke about when we talked about the fourth plinth mm. the house that she had created in bethany yes. green yeah yeah so uh if you didn't listen to that episode she uh, there was this house that had been abandoned since kind of world war Two in bethnal green in east london and she got all of this kind of uh, concrete and she sprayed all this concrete within the house and then took out took off the outer shell all of the brick so everything inside was this kind of strong solid block mm. so you could see the the shape of the windows and the indentations around fireplaces and certain things um there's also a piece that she has done uh at the entrance of the Whitechapel gallery where you can see that the windows um are kind of inside out so you see kind of the normal squared windows and then just above it you see them in reverse so the brick is kind of punching out at you but it's the same shape as the window below mm. um so yeah she's quite quite an interesting artist i would say and um yeah a lot of people absolutely adored this piece it was quite nice to have something of one color just all this kind of like all of these white cubes um and you you wanted like a child just to kind of get in there as quick as possible and try to analyze and understand what on earth it was and you probably came away still not really knowing what it was but it certainly left you with something yeah and i think that's yeah that's i think that's the best thing about these installations is that when you yeah you see something new or from a different perspective and again i didn't see that i didn't see the Rachel whiteweed one in the date um when did you say that one was 2005 yeah 
Oh, I didn't see that. Well, I think I didn't move to London until the following year. But yeah, I think it, it, there were some uh, amongst them that I just think, oh, it would have been wonderful to see. And and again, that it's nice to remember it. And I love that you're kind of picking out the ones that you remember the most. I think it's great. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so 2007, Doris um, Salcedo, I never really know how to pronounce her name. Um, I know you're going to miss my mispronunciations and like a hole in the head. <laughs> how is that? How is that written? How is that spelled? S A L C E D O. Salcedo, Salcedo, I would say. Yeah. Salcedo? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So this is a piece called Shibboleth. And this, oh my God, in terms of a piece of art which has created so much press uh, there well there's been a lot of things in the Tate Modern but this has got to be up there the crack you know oh now again I think this is the one that was still in when I moved to London because I remember this and I still point out that the um because you can still see bits of where it was I still point that out to people to this day yeah because you've got the scar so it's it's a piece of art that has been placed in the turbine hall for, you know, I think it was there for just over a year and it is still there today. You can walk over it um, and you can never, never cover it up, which is really interesting concept because it completely connects with the reason why she did it in the first place. So you have this, this crack and a, a lot of people um, kind of questioned, did they drill into the floor of the turbine hall because the uh God, i don't know how deep it was in certain areas but i can t i can tell you that somebody fell in and yeah. broke their ankle so it was that deep so there were parts where it was quite thin this crack and it kind of went in a diagonal so when you enter the turbine hall today you could look down and that's you know we're talking about you can see the scar of it and you can follow it all the way to the end of the turbine hall and it goes kind of in this diagonal line and some bits of the crack were incredibly deep and some were very thin very narrow um and it's all about dividing and this could be dividing in religion dividing in terms of uh, people wanting to migrate, immigration, uh, dividing in terms of uh, uh, colonialism, racism, all sorts of different things. Um, and it, it was just really interesting in terms of where you personally wanted to stand. And like a lot of pieces in the Tate Modern, there's another piece I'm going to come to in a minute where they had an idea for something, but they didn't take into account people and how people react to art because originally they didn't have any kind of warning for people. They didn't hand out anything to say, be careful of the crack on the floor. And a lot of people fell into it. One woman thought that it was just painted onto the floor. Oh, really? So went to, yeah, went to take a photo and just kind of completely like tripped over and like, you know, hurt herself. So then they started handing out leaflets as soon as you walked in saying, be aware, we have this piece of art on the floor. It's a huge crack. Um, this is what it kind of symbolizes. But please, number one, health and safety, be careful. Yeah. And then <laughs> that didn't help. You know, people were still falling in. And they were probably a little bit worried about a potential lawsuit. So then 
the artwork had to change but it changed for the better i think because barriers had to be put up and these little kind of bits of wire were suddenly seen you know kind of reminding people that don't go any further than this honestly ridiculous really isn't it it is but it kind of added to it because it is people that is putting up these barriers and you could look at it to start off with by thinking that it this is this is nature you know this um a crack in the floor from an earthquake is this artist trying to tell us something about the world around us being bigger than us but she wasn't she was talking about the divide that we have with ourselves as people so by people you know <laughs> hurting themselves or trying to get to the other side and falling in you know especially that connection with immigration and people trying to 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 get somewhere else away from whatever reason is you know war torn or whatever and having to put themselves through something to get to the other side you know it's it's got so much symbolism mm. which i absolutely adored with this piece um and it's still there which yeah. is great it's filled in but but still filled there in. yeah and as I, I kind of went off in a different direction there but as i was saying people were kind of questioning whether they drilled into the actual floor or they actually got pieces sent in and i, I believe it was the latter so i think if you first went in before 2007 before her artwork was there the 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 floor would have been lower so they went to so much effort putting all of this. I don't even know what kind of material it was. I haven't been <laughs> doing my research here. Um, but they they placed the crack. They placed a new floor essentially over the turbine hall, oh. put her art in fit and filled it in. And I guess it would have taken more effort, more resources to take away what was already there. So they thought, well, it's just easier to to kind of fill in the gap, I guess which is probably why they're more happy to cover the floor with different things. Like, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this one, but there was this thing quite recently where you could have drawn on parts of the floor. Um, there's been carpet on the floor. People have rolled down it. There's been swings there. So since 2007, they're probably like, well, it's fine because the actual floor is underneath Doris doris's artwork yeah so if anything happens you know sorry doris but <laughs> <laughs> it's your artwork getting ruined not the turbine hall floor I mean, it's really quite if you think about it an entire building putting in a fake floor to accommodate artwork that's that's quite something it is isn't it yeah 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 and the conversations that you know because she probably went in there going guys i want to make a crack a massive crack in the turbine hall and they're like ah oh, doris i don't think that's gonna happen she's like well how are we gonna make it happen <laughs> um so yeah that's amazing i love yeah. it i love it now the next piece uh we're going to 2009 i jump quite heavily in a minute <laughs> i go from 2009 2010 and then i think i'm going straight into 2019. <laughs> um... this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. 
So the next piece is by a Polish artist called Myroslaw Balka, and it's called How It Is. Is this ringing any bells? Uh, nope, then I never know the names of pieces. <laughs> cool. So <laughs> 2009, um, so to describe it to you, you walked into the turbine hall and right at the back was this huge box, like this humongous big black box. It was on stilts and you could see that people were walking underneath it. So you could choose to either walk underneath it or keep on going right to the back of the gallery, have your face to the back wall and then turn round as if you're facing the entrance and you would see a ramp and this ramp was leading you into this huge dark black box. Now, when I was making my way into the Tate Modern, I went there with my sister and she was like, um, I've heard about this new exhibition, it's really good. There was a couple of people in front of us and they were talking about that their friends had been to see this, uh, this exhibit. And they started talking about how there were naked people in this empty big box. So I took that, yeah, and I was like, oh my God, there's going to be naked people. This is going to be interesting. Um, and this wasn't the case, but it was really, you know, if you hear something or somebody kind of um, presumes then you can't help but take that into your kind of onward narrative. So we we decided to go up into the ramp and it was pitch black darkness, like as soon as you walked in there. So you couldn't tell what was in there, how many people were already in there. Um, and the weirdest thing was, I mean, there was probably quite a few people when we went in, but it was deathly silent. And you couldn't help but kind of take on this uh, this this huge presence. And there was all sorts of different feelings of fear. Um, I straight away kind of didn't know if my sister was next to me or not. So it was kind of like, has she gone? Have we gone in different directions? And it it was it was very very eerie. And I don't think we spent long in there. And I. I kind of got the the feeling that not many people did because I kind of saw people coming out that were just kind of in front of us. Um, and this is a piece that Myra's Law Bowker created, which connects to a lot of things for World War Two. You know, so it could be seen as um, the the trucks that took the Jewish community to the camps. Um, and the, the way that it was kind of created in terms of its material and these kind of stilts and the fact that you had this ramp that you had to walk up, you felt like, A, how much do I trust the Tate Modern? I'm, I'm basically <laughs> saying I trust this organisation. As a human being, I'm walking into the darkness of all of these people. I must trust what's happening here. But this feeling that that ramp could suddenly be a door that suddenly goes up and closes and you're just in yeah. this, you know, locked position. And also in my head, I'm thinking, oh, my God, are there naked people in here? And they <laughs> turn the lights on and there's going to be reason like... went, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but it was very... 
very eerie and it's one that was very simple in terms of its construction i guess um and it was a little bit like rachel white reed where you've got all of these empty boxes but they're filled they are filled they're filled with thoughts and thoughts are the most powerful kind of tangible well not really tangible you can't really feel it well i guess you can feel it but it's not actually there but your imagination keep digging just runs <laughs> yeah come on, I mean. but your imagination just just runs a bit wild um and there's this uh this the, the video that they kind of use for the tame modern like if you looked at how it is there's this video of this lady and she's got this white t-shirt on and she's wearing these black trousers and she walks into it and you see the back of her just disappear and it is it's really quite emotional really wow. especially when you do connect it with his connection in terms of world war ii and so many people going into this unknown space not knowing what was ahead of them and you just see this woman just just disappear and it's it, this yeah i think this piece moved me more than any other piece because it was interactive i've not even heard about this one mm. this yeah how it is yeah you look at some pictures it's it's huge as well, well. I, i'll try but there won't be anything much to look at will there <laughs> No, but you can at least see kind of um, how how much space there was to walk underneath it. Right. And if you can try and look at this video of this woman kind of just walking into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty mm, amazing. Okay. Intriguing. Um, so uh, a year later, 2010, um, stop me if this is going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, a YY, a wee wee. Oh. Now oh, I remember wait. this one. Okay, so the sunflowers. You saw this one? Yes, I saw this one. I loved this one. This is probably, I think when I first came to London, I didn't necessarily go to the Tate that much. I think I was a bit scathing about modern and contemporary art. Um, so it's something I've come to like a bit later. Um, so that's probably why the, the later ones are the ones that, that stick with me because I've actually seen them. Mm yeah yeah this well this one a little bit like um the crack it started off as something but it had to change because of health and safety yes. so <laughs> so you walked in and the floor just looked gray and it looked uh crunchy and there were people walking on it initially and what you would have seen as you went closer into the turbine hall it didn't cover the whole entire floor for this one you had to kind of walk a little way into the turbine hall and then you suddenly had this section that was covered with millions and millions of painted sunflower seeds and it looked like they were sunflower seeds but they were actually uh handcrafted porcelain and every little bit of porcelain if you picked it up had at least three sometimes six black thin lines that have been painted upon it to look like sunflower seeds and um this is a, a common theme in uh the chinese community and um, there was a, a leader during a yy and again i always fear that i'm pronouncing his name wrong as well it could be a way way um <laughs> He, um, in his childhood, there was a leader called Mao Zedong, and he would often... Uh, Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong? Mao, Mao Zedong. Zedong. 
yep. Mao Zedong, um, and he would represent himself as the sun. And so a lot of people of China would kind of like uh, do lots of paintings of sunflowers and the sunflower seeds. So he saw this as a bit of propaganda. And this particular artist has actually been in prison, been held in prison for um, a couple of times, actually, um, because of his activism towards certain things. So he kind of ran with that idea by having this kind of sunflower seed and how people thought about sunflowers in China. And also this connection to porcelain, Chinese porcelain, and every little piece as i say there's so much work and detail that went into it and he hired i think it was like over just over 1500 workers that for months and months would work in these kind of small scale workshops to paint upon these teeny tiny bits of porcelain mm. <laughs> which were then laid upon the floor and you could walk onto them initially but they caused so much dust <laughs> that they had to stop people walking on it Brilliant. which is just such a shame because i think his he wanted people to have the sound effect underneath the feet mm. and you to really kind of grasp how many there were because i don't think you could really kind of understand the depth of all of the sunflowers unless you were really on them and there's this connection to kind of mass production and made in china um yeah it was a piece that that it was really lovely. It was quite, uh, I just remember seeing it. I, I went sadly after it and had the, the health and safety um, renovation. Um, and the, yeah, the, the detail in them, I remember sort of squatting down and having a look at them close up because they were so incredible. You, they looked like there's just sort of white mass when you first went in. But when you saw them all like up close, it was, yeah, it was quite something. Yeah. Um. So that's that one. And I'm now... <laughs> <laughs> moving on so 2019 you didn't like any of the others she's like ah stuff no, there they're all rubbish <laughs> it does look like, like like that way does it i think it's um I, these ones particularly struck me um there were others in there in between you know that i thought yeah, whatever, were um... very good um but this one you heard it before you saw it which was just so wonderful and this one we spoke about when you invited me on to Global Tea Break quite a while ago now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> um, so we spoke about an American artist, Cara Walker. Oh, yes. Yeah. And in 2019, she produced this humongous fountain called Fons Americanus. So as soon as you walked in, you heard it before you physically saw it. And to walk into that space and just hear running water, you know, it kind of, it was confusing. It was really confusing. <laughs> and then walked in and this gigantic structure. And she was inspired when she was on her way to the airport and she was driving past the Victoria Memorial outside Buckingham Palace, mm. which after queen victoria died her husband uh, her husband her son edward becomes king edward the seventh created so many memorials dedications to his mother to to make people kind of remember his mother and we look at them now and think gosh you know victoria was really well loved but actually there was a huge huge time during her reign when she was incredibly unpopular mm. so 
this monument kind of masks a lot of feeling about what was actually going on and she talks about how the bigger the monument sometimes the easier it is for it to just blend into the environment yeah and it's it's huge and there's so many details on it yet i could probably tell you a couple of things but there's 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 so much on it and so she produced this gigantic fountain and it had so many different themes and you would think that it was really beautiful but the closer you got to it the more aggressive and sad and emotional that there were sharks in the water there were people it looked like young people young men that were trying to escape from the water there was this statue of this woman and she had water coming out of her breasts and also one shooting out of her neck so you had this connection to you know what it would be like um, or, or what it is to be a mother to be a woman this feeling of kind of uh, uh, an attack upon the neck and this is highly connected to the slave trade mm. and of course Britain was a huge part of that and she has so so much in there and you can see that all of the pieces all of the individual pieces whether it be boats or people or the plinth itself has hand marks all upon it so the structure is made out of either wood or kind of plaster and, and different things and then you had this kind of um uh well kind of plaster or concrete that was placed on the outside that she worked on with her hands so it's um it's a really touchable piece plus the fact that the tate modern is named after henry tate yep. who was the uh creator of the sugar cube and very well known as the sugar distributor so uh, the idea that it's created in a space which is kind of dedicating somebody who was connected with sugar and of mm. course sugar is highly connected with the slave trade so it's um yeah, I, I just thought it was absolutely remarkable. It was a beautiful piece, that one. And I, yeah, I I remember um, seeing it. And you're right, kind of the closer you got, the more you noticed of it. And I, mem I remember seeing sharks in the in the water and um, which, of course, was something that, you know, the sharks used to trail the, um, the slave ships as they came over um, between Africa and, and uh, the US or the Caribbean. And... Uh, yeah, it was a really, it, it sort of, yeah, like you say, you look at it, you go, oh, wow, it's an amazing fountain. It's so beautiful. And then everyone sort of sits on it and, you know, and and just like take in the going around. But you, you, it, you had to look at it, really look at it. And then you'd suddenly do that. Oh, wait, hang on. This isn't all quite so, you know, happy, happy, clappy as I think it might, it might have been at the start. Very, very clever. I like that sort of thing where it makes you look again and, and realise what's going on. Absolutely. And she is an artist that I just I go to for so many different reasons. Her name comes up for so many different things. She's a fantastic poet. Her her wordplay is is really beautiful. And whenever she's kind of being interviewed and kind of talks about her own art, it's, um, you know, she just puts her heart, her soul into it. And I think we were talking about a piece that she created in an old sugar factory in America. Yeah, that rings um, a bell. Yeah, and she made like a huge sphinx, I think it was a sphinx, out of sugar. Um, 
yeah her pieces are just really um captivating but she does so many different different things and she does a lot of kind of um uh silhouettes and cuts out with paper her pieces sometimes look a little bit like um the work by um henry matisse mm. um so yeah yeah she's a wonderful artist amazing so not too long after that quite recently really um 2021 uh anarchy eve in love with the world God. so last one this is in love with the world 2021 um do you remember this one uh again can't remember the name tell me about it and i might <laughs> so she created these moving pods you walked into the space and it looked like these big jellyfish that <gasps> yes. they were slowly yes, I do coming up, slowly coming down. They looked like aliens or atoms. She called them aerobes. And it was quite interesting that she put them in, in 2021 because we were still kind of going through COVID and everybody was thinking about bacteria, this kind of invisible killer and this invisible feeling. And it, essentially, she kind of created these things to kind of remind you that you are surrounded with these these pieces that will react and move uh, regardless of what you're doing. So they, it was very strange. There was like this kind of station that they kind of fell into and they needed to be recharged. Apparently, they would um, emit smells. I never really got oh. a smell, but this was a time when a lot of people were wearing masks. That's true. So, that's true. Yeah, I never. So I don't know what that. kind of. No, I didn't experience the smells, but I thought that they moved in the most beautiful way. They did. And you, yeah, and you could stand underneath them. You could stand by the side of them. Um, you know, you could go up onto the full floor and look down upon them. And she's somebody that creates a lot of work with the idea of bacteria. There was a piece, and I don't tend to talk about this with um, clients because I never know how they're going to react, but <laughs> sorry, I'm going to tell you. Uh, so it's called, What Does Feminism Smell Like? And she basically got 100 people, 100 women, to take essentially a cotton bud and put it anywhere they wanted. No. <laughs> and then put it in like a petri dish and all of these different kind of petri dishes were underneath this paint panel of glass and they kind of you know formed bacteria and different colors and different smells oh. <laughs> i feel I uncomfortable know, about just, that it is yeah but that that's the thing you know she does like creating things that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable mm. and that's how uh, these aerobes were in the turbine hall you because they kind of just reacted how they have ever wanted and went in the direction that they wanted to go regardless of where you were um or actually no they did react in some cases in terms of where you were but they were so big that they were a bit scary it did it sort of reacted on uneasy. the number of people in the hall didn't they and the heat coming off people and things like that yeah. didn't they that's that's that was yeah. what they said they did anyway yeah um and i realize that i've gone on for quite some time now and i usually just keep it to about 20 minutes and i'm like you just can't stop me now <laughs> <laughs> talking about art but so i'm going to leave it there so those were some of the pieces that i really loved in the turbine hall amazing yeah thank you so much because it's nice to revisit things like that and just see um what uh yeah the sort of things that, that stick in your mind a bit um 
I love the jellyfish. Jellyfish are great. They were really fun. And sometimes they're silly things. Like there's just, there was a slide one year, wasn't there? Um, I'm not 100% sure what that was about, but it was great fun. I went on a date to that actually, um, slightly randomly. Did you? Slide was great. The date was rubbish. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh, fabulous. Well, that, there we go. That's your last one. And you you finished on a high with uh, with a an arty one, which is very much in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, that's so, it for you now. You can clock off after just over two years of doing podcasts. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so sad. Um, but, yeah. But please, you know, follow my art spoken um annoyingly somebody has got it on instagram two people no they've got two followers oh. um so i've had to go for artspoken.uk that's a bit annoying disappointing but, uh, <laughs> but it is what it is but there we go oh, oh well uh we will all go and give you a little follow uh there you can keep us Thank up you. to date with uh with uh, with what you're up to uh but that's it for this week gang um what we will do is next week we're probably going to have a little look back at all of uh emily's favorite bits of the podcast i think um i think we're just gonna have a little you know be very self-indulgent have a little self-indulgent one as, as emily bows out and then we'll be back the week after that with uh you know but not quite business as not as usual but new business as usual let's say yeah but there we go amazing nice. cool well, thank you so much, everyone, for coming along and listening. Um, we will see you next week to say goodbye to Emily. Um, please keep, uh, you know, keep sending stuff in for her and all that kind of thing. Uh, she doesn't want to fuss, so we're going to give her a fuss anyway and, and be done oh, with it. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you want any, if there's any messages that you want um, to me to read out for Emily next week, send them to me on Instagram, not to the ladies who London, because then she can't see them. Ha <laughs> Uh, I'm at tourguide.alex. Uh, send them my way and I'll read them out next week. Um, but yeah, fabulous. Nice. Have a wonderful week, everybody. We will see you next week. Have a good week. Take care, Bye. guys. Bye. Bye.